0: hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: So tonight's reading is Acts 6 verses 1 to 7 and I think that's on page 1108 in the Pew Bibles. So um, Acts 6 starting from verse 1 the choosing of the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Thank you, Veronica. Should we just pray? So the word of God spread. Lord, we think on your word now. We pray, Lord, that it would spread in our hearts and in those among us as well, Lord, that we would hear your word learn from it, and understand more and more about your love for us. Amen. So for those of you who have been coming recently, you'll know that we've been at the end of a series looking at the book of Acts and the early church. The early church has started at sort of about 120 people. They weren't sure what to do. Jesus had gone up to heaven, and they were a little bit confused, but waiting. Then they had Pentecost. they were filled with the Spirit. They preached out the good news of Jesus, and then over time, many thousands were added. And at this point, they begin to find, sort of about chapter 5, begin to find they get a bit of opposition from the Jewish authorities. They want to shut it down, this uh, sort of new movement, but they're protected by the Holy Spirit. But in this, these verses we just read to us, I think actually the church now faces, in some ways, an even more difficult and challenging time. And that is beginning to see a little bit of ish, a division, grumbling, a bit of complaining. Also, maybe you begin to see a little bit of people being overworked, having too much to do, not being able to focus. And dare I say, the danger of bureaucracy and administration. How, so far, they've been a spirit led church. The Holy Spirit has come and filled them. How can the Holy Spirit now guide them? in organisation and administration and bureaucracy. Is that too much for the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll see how the early church cope with those issues, but they're issues that all churches throughout ages have faced. So how did the early church cope with those, that division and that overwork, and in some ways, on how to have organisation without losing that sense of being spirit-led? So the problem that the church faced with this Basically, they had a number of widows. And in those times, widows were an extremely vulnerable group. Uh, sad to say, but generally, most possessions were held by men. And if a husband died, then the possessions would pass to the children or to a close family if there weren't children. And so the widows then would have to rely on either their children or close family to be provided for. And if they weren't, they were vulnerable. And not only that, what may have happened here is that some of the widows may have suddenly turned to Jesus and become Christian and then may have been ostracized by their close family. Problem then, a problem still in many communities in the world today, where many people have become Christian, become ostracized. And so the church wants to help them. And there's a number of them. And Obviously, the church wants to be caring and full of fellowship. But then we get another issue. There are a number of groups in the church. This is a very cosmopolitan church. You know, we learn from the time of Pentecost, there were lots of people in Jerusalem at the time, lots of different nationalities. And there were two particular groups highlighted here. One was the Hebraic or Hebrew Jews, and one were the Greek or Hellenistic Jews. You're wondering what those are. Well, basically, there are a number of Jews who lived, who had lived in Jerusalem or Israel. That's where they're from. Um, They probably spoke Aramaic. um, And they probably more in the traditions of the Jewish times. But also in that time, although they're in Jerusalem, many people had come from all around the world to be in Jerusalem, then heard Peter speaking and become Christian, become followers of Jesus. But those people who come from many nationalities, they generally spoke Greek and may well also have a slightly different attitude about the world around us, probably about the Roman Empire, for example, or different things like that. But obviously united by following Jesus. And so it's not difficult to imagine But suddenly when it comes to this issue about how to feed the widows, suddenly little niggles start happening. There's a language barrier. There's maybe some attitude issues. Maybe there's a, you can imagine some saying, well, we need to prioritize the people of this area first. Maybe they should just go back to their countries and be looked after. Maybe that was what was being said. We don't know. We know it's not deliberate. The passage doesn't say. But somehow there's a failure now of administration and organization. And how is the church going to manage this? Without Because actually, this is a big problem, because you see how this could easily snowball into suddenly two groups being split off, deciding, actually, we don't want part of this. We want to have our own church now. <laughs> it's happened in history in the past. And then suddenly, they lose the sort of enthusiasm and the, the drive that's bringing God's word into these different communities. Suddenly, it's becoming divided and split. How does this early church manage These issues. Well, I think there are two things we can learn from this. Firstly, that they prioritize. And secondly, they bring in what I call radical service. And we'll see that soon. But firstly, they prioritize. So if you look, firstly, at verse four, the disciples say this We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the disciples say their focus, their key focus, should be prayer. And the ministry of the word. Now, that may seem to be that, okay, that's what they're giving attention to, but then the rest of the church can do other things. But actually, I'm not sure that's right. I think what they're doing is focusing on saying that in everything we do, at the heart needs to be prayer and the ministry of the word. In whatever the church is doing, they should be at the heart of it. So, firstly, prayer. They need to be committed to prayer. Now, I have to confess, when I was doing this talk, I was thinking, I'm generally quite busy. I have a full-time job, whatever. I'm sure many of you are as well. And the one thing that's squeezed is prayer. It's terrible to say, I confess, but often gets squeezed. Maybe that's true of you too. And yet, when you think about it, actually, that's the last thing that should get squeezed. If we're to be God's people, then actually uh, speaking to God, bringing our knees to God, listening to God, just as Claire was talking about that book before, hearing from God. That's what we need to be doing. And how often when we do, and I know in my time, that things suddenly become clearer in, in what we need to do and process. And that is what the disciples are saying here. Look, whatever's going on, there's lots to do in this church. This church is growing. Suddenly issues are coming and we need to sort them out. The focus has to be prayer first, to pray about them, to bring them to God. Not only do you see it in this, but then later on, when they select this, what I like to call the magnificent seven, um, who are going to serve, um, helping with the widows. When they present to the apostles, they pray after them. At the heart of what they're doing is prayer. So that's the first priority, prayer. And of course, as a church, we too want to see that. You know, we have prayer at the center. We have various different prayer groups as well. But uh, in our own personal lives as well, how easy is this to get squeezed when we get up in the morning or in the evening or whatever? But actually, I'd encourage all of us, i encourage myself as well, put prayer at the center of, being, of who we are as Christians, but also as a church as well. So that's the first thing. But secondly, they focus, the priority is the ministry of the word. But you probably think, what does that mean? What does it mean, the ministry of the word? And what we've seen in some ways is the word of God over these last few chapters just growing in some ways organically. As it's being reached out, people are receiving it and then sharing it again, and it's coming and growing and growing and growing. Virtually outside, people teaching, preaching, just growing. Because it's got a, a power and dynamism, all of its own. Because it comes from God. It's wonderful. And that's what he wants to capture here. That we trust in preaching and teaching and sharing God's word with others. To construct on the ministry of the words. What we have seen through the book of Acts. That first part when Peter speaks, to tell that message. The message of the gospel, the message that Jesus came so we can know God's love and we can know God's forgiveness, that he died for us so that we can receive him and follow him and serve him and receive the Holy Spirit to guide us, to live life as God intended it to be, live life to the full. That is the message of the word they're bringing. It's transformational. It's transformed lives. No wonder they want that to be priority to bring that word of God. And maybe for us too, that is, you know, we're all um, called to bring God's word in our lives, into those we meet, and those in the workplace, in our schools, our friends, our families. Encouraged to bring that word, to share our faith, to help them know this word that transforms. But just because they're focused on the word of God does not mean that's incompatible with then the church being involved in caring for widows or caring for the vulnerable and for others. That's what wonderful about this passage. The two go together. And we see that because when they choose the team to care for the widows, they don't go and say, well, this isn't priority. So we'll just choose, you know, these seven here. They seem okay. They choose an amazing group of seven. We know that because what happens to two of them later. This is an amazing group, full of the spirit, wise Because they know their Bibles, the Bible, when they know the word of God, it encourages us to look after the widows and the vulnerable and those we see around us who are struggling to support and care for them. And that in some ways comes out of God's word. As God's word transforms our lives, it seeks us then to not just bring that God's word in, in word, but also in action, supporting and caring for each other. We don't want to lose sight. And often I think churches can fall guilty of two dangers. Sometimes they focus on we must be just supporting others and lose sight of the word. Or sometimes I think, no, I'm, we're just going to preach and, and reach others, but actually forget to care for those around them, the vulnerable. It's important that actually we prioritize God's word, the ministry of the word, to allow the word to engage in our life, to teach and to preach. Focus on this wonderful book that transforms lives, but also allow, as that word transforms us, it calls us to bring it to others, to love others, to care for others, and to share it with others. So two priorities they had, and that was what was guiding how they're going to deal with this issue, prayer and ministry of the word. But then how does it help them resolve these issues, these issues about how they care for the widows? How they deal with this issue of overwork. Well, then there's this second point then. It's a call to radical service. And we'll see it in the way the church deal with this issue. It's very different from I know the world would deal with it. And my company that I work with would deal with this issue. In fact, often how we expect them to deal with it. Because they're going to be spirit led. So firstly, we read this in verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, It'd not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So what they do, this radical service, the first thing they do is they bring the whole church into the issue. And I think this is quite radical, actually, because we're very easy, the disciples, to go, well, we've been with Jesus. We know what we're about. You know, we're the experienced ones. We'll decide. So we'll decide how to deal with this issue. But no, they realize this is an issue for the whole church. The whole church needs to be involved because it's a matter for the whole church, for all of us. If we see some of our brothers or sisters in need, then it should be a concern for all of us. Not just for those at the top, not just for those who've got certain skills, but for everyone. Because and I, I know, if I'm in my workplace, what would happen with the same with the disciples? The boss would come in and say, right, we'll set up a project team, we'll get this sorted. And they report to me every week or whatever. But again, not here. They bring it to the whole church. That's who's going to decide. Because there's a whole church issue. That's the first thing. And I think, again, this is a challenge because it's so easy for leaders sometimes to think, well, I I need to be in control of everything. But actually, the church here is to be not controlled by individuals, but to be spirit led, not by the disciples, not by bosses, but led by the spirit, led by the word of God that equips each one of us. But there's also danger, I think, as us as a church think, well, We need a decision from the top. We need them to do something about it. Why are they not doing anything? They need to do something. And actually, if we see needs in the church, then may we raise them, we find ways, bring people together. Let's see how we can do something. There's a call here that as we see needs around us, that as the spirit leads us, that we're involved as a church at bringing God's word to others. So that's the first thing. They bring the whole church. There's a whole church issue. But then that recognizes something else as well. Because it's not that we've got some people at the top who know everything and they're great, and I'm sure they are, but they can't do everything. I mean, John and John, who have just had doing communion, is brilliant, but there's some things I'm sure he's not very good at. Like, and there's some things I know I'm not very good at. But we know there are other people in church who are very good at things. And that is one of the messages of Scripture, is that all of us, we talked about being a, the body of Christ, all of us have a part to play. What a wonderful message that is. Each one of us here has a key part to play. Each one of us has has particular gifts, particular skills that God is calling us to serve. In my workplace, you know, sometimes we let people go. Sometimes we think they're not needed anymore. That's not true of church. In church, all of us have a part to play. All of us are a key and equally important part. What a wonderful message that is. And I think that's what we see in that verse. They say this. They say, um, the disciples say this in verse two. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, it does initially read, well, maybe they're saying, look, we're disciples. We know what we're doing. And we don't really want to be waiting on tables, okay? That's for other people. We want to focus on the word of God and prayer, whatever. But that's not what they're saying here. What they're saying is, look. Yes, our gift, you know, we were the ones with Jesus. We know, you know, we've been with Jesus, we've heard from Jesus. That is our gift. That's what we're bringing. You know, we could do all these other things, but actually we're just going to end up being overworked and not being able to focus on anything. But actually, that's also very important work for there are others who are more gifted, more able to do it. They're not saying that waiting on tables here is less important. What they're saying rather is that actually all of us have gifts Different gifts to bring, and actually, church is to be somewhere that's using each one of us to grow and be encouraged. So all of us have a part to play. What a wonderful message that is about church. But you may be sitting there thinking, "Yeah, but you know, I'm not sure I do. I haven't have any superpowers. I'm, you know, I've just maybe I've just become a Christian. Maybe I'm quite young or whatever. Maybe what, what can I offer?" But that's the third thing that comes out of this passage. So not only is it open to church and all have gifts, but look at the qualifications that are needed. So they say this in verse three. Brothers and sisters, then choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And then we'll turn this responsibility over to them. The key criteria, now I know it's men. I should have, apologized. it is men. That was just because in their culture, that was a particular thing, but actually we know that's for everyone, men and women, and actually the Bible from this, we see increasingly more and more women involved in church, so that's one thing just to say, but what were the key criteria, criteria for those called, was to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and again, that's amazing, because you think about it, in my workplace, we normally have, you know, put the, you decide there's a criteria you need, and there's professional qualification, but The disciples don't go, well, are they members of the Institute of Caring for Widows or have they got previous experience whatever? No, they're looking for people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And what does that mean? Well, actually, when I think of those who are wise, it's not people who know everything, but actually it's people who know what they don't know and then trust in God and trust in the spirit and seek help from others. So actually, if we're people coming deciding we're following Jesus and letting God pour into our heart that the Spirit fill us and wanting to know more, then we are filled with the Spirit and we are wise. We are called to serve wherever it is. We can do that. So that's the qualification. And then the next thing is even more amazing in some ways. Then the disciples trust those they call. So it says that in verse three, it says this, we will then turn this responsibility over to them and then we'll give attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So they delegate. It'd be very easy at the disciples to think, well, this is quite a tricky issue. Let's micromanage and let's put lots of layers in and make sure all fine. But actually, no, they trust. They trust, and this is part about being a spirit-led church. They trust that actually it's the spirit leading here. Now, obviously, it's still important to have support and controls and safeguarding, and also to make sure that people are supported in what they're doing. But there's also something wonderful about letting people, they've got something that the Spirit is calling to. Maybe there's something you're feeling a burning desire to do that God is calling. Then chat to someone about it, and maybe have a go, and actually let people try things in the power of the Holy Spirit with support. Because actually, that's how we grow as individuals. That's how we grow, knowing God. So we can see here from this passage, we've got this radical service, very different from what the world calls us to, where we're open to everyone, where everyone is called, where we trust each other. And also where, you know, the criteria is that we're people, not with lots of qualifications, but people who fill the spirit, we're trusting in God I remember when I was uh, a few years ago um, I had to I was asked I was started leading a, a children's group and uh, we booked a weekend away in Carity Wood and uh, I'd never really done it before to be honest leading I don't know why I was asked to do it to be honest but they booked it and they said would well, you want to do it and I said yes and then 5 minutes later thought what have I done But anyway so we got a group of leaders together and um, I thought, and then suddenly, was, and I think Ian Christie, who's on the back, he had a list of things that we needed to make sure we did because he'd done it before many years ago. So again, we relied on the wisdom of, of elders, and um, they gave a list, and it was like, well, you need to, you know, we need to have the forms done, and they get the welcoming, and then there needs to be food sourced out, and then there's these, these games, and there's this, there's the evening barbecue and stuff, and we've got a small group of leaders volunteered, and I was like, well, I don't, some of these I just can't do. But I remember as it went happened, they went, and of them went, well, I love doing that. I'll do that. And then someone said, I love Barbie. I'll do that one. And I'll do that one. In fact, I had two 14-year-olds there. And um, I don't know, but actually we said, look, you know, one of them wanted to do a sort of morning uh, routine, you know, to get them up and running. And one just was happy to really be involved with the kids. And their names were Harriet and Sheridan. And uh, Sheridan was obviously married yesterday. And, and they were amazing. And actually it allowed me to focus on doing the teaching sessions And being able to bring the kids together. And I know, I just learned a bucket load from that. And I know the group that we had did as well. And the children. Amazing time. And it showed the power of this radical service. That actually, when we come together, it's not burdensome. But this is liberating. It's actually God calling us to the things that we are being called to do. The things that God is equipping us to do. Gifting us to do. And look what happens at the end of our passage. So it says this, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So because they allow the spirit to lead their administration and organization, suddenly it allows the word of God to continue to spread. And it's interesting that even some priests, some of the Jewish priests now become, decide to follow Jesus. I'm just wondering if there's something again when, They probably were looking at their sort of Jewish hierarchical structure with lots of layers and the temple and they had to collect the tax and do all this. And they saw what was going on in this community where they were looking after the vulnerable and they're caring for the widows. And they were also reaching out, teaching a message that was radical and transformative and thinking, "Okay, God's at work there. That is the work of God and, and coming and then hearing and believing. But what's also interesting is what happens to some of those seven as well. So that's the other thing about service. I think sometimes we can think of service in church as being a burden. You get on a rotor and suddenly you end up like lots to do and you can't get off it and stuff. I believe that, you know, once you're treasurer, you're a treasurer for life and stuff. I hope. But, uh, but actually, that's not the vision here. The vision actually is where we're called, we get involved, we help encourage others as well. And then we move into other areas. And look what happens to the, two, the Stephen we learn about later. He goes off then, continues to preach the word. He's filled with the spirit and brings God's word to different groups of the Jews. And in the end, is so, you know, causes, you know, such a storm because he's just bringing this message that unfortunately he dies for his faith. But so the impact he has is astounding. And of course, in some ways he knocks on when he dies. There is a person there who's watching Paul or Saul, he was called then, who, of course, then becomes the apostle Paul. But then there's another one, Philip, in here. He's the first one of the disciples to reach out beyond the Jewish community to the Samaritans. He's called to bring God's word there. And then later he bumps into, not accidental, where God is at work, into uh, an official at the Ethiopian court. And then as a result, the ministry of the church, the word of God, goes through to the country of Ethiopia. It's an astounding message. These people who started in, you know, just called into this. Service the widows, being equipped more and more by God to do amazing things. That is the vision of this radical service, the way we prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. Then we're called to a service which is liberating. It's about growing in God and about receiving the spirit more and more. And wherever, whatever age we are, whatever, however long we've been a Christian, whatever, this is a message for each one of us. And it may be within a church community. It could be reaching out to families, workplaces, for this message that where we, where we are full of spirit and wise, where we allow God into our lives and allow, follow that call that God will let us grow. So I wonder, we talked about which part of the body are you. I wonder which part are you? Which part is the spirit tugging on your heartstrings now, calling you? To be involved. Maybe something completely different to what you expect. But I wonder where you're calling. Should we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you that the church was able to manage through these issues and shows us a pattern where it focused on prayer, on the ministry of the word, and on radical service. And we pray for us as a church now, Lord that you would guide us, help each one of us to know our call, not something that's a burden, but something that frees us to be your people and to know you more and more in our lives. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk.